0: To sustainable two hundred and twenty-five.
1: Welcome yourself all to sustainable two hundred and twenty-five, my snotty chum. You've got something of a sniffle.
0: I do. I do have a cold. Yes. Oh, I think it cold. is just a cold. Magic. It's one of those ones where you have uh, phlegm cascading down your face throughout the day.
1: Oh, very nice. Waterfalls of stock. Start- I was just reading before coming to start this here, babble about that is because we haven't really been seeing each other for a year. And so like the cold has kind of like been building itself up, ready to screw us over when we do meet people. So that's what's happening. I'll that's tell you what it is. It's logos. because
0: baby old number one, who you'll remember didn't exist when we started this podcast, has started school and is mixing with all the other baby not olds, uh, and is getting their germs. So yeah anyway we
1: uh, we are here to give you some relief from your lurgy and from the lurgy affecting everything we are Sustainable your friendly little weekly environment podcast all about people and the planet and why despite everything being a metaphorical and literal waterfall of bogeys we can still have a <laughs> chuckle about it every now and then yes yes and what are we going to
0: be picking through this week oh picking through <laughs> We're going to be sticking our finger into the nostril of transport and wiggling it around and trying to work out how on earth the car came to be the thing that it is uh, and, well, frankly, what's going to happen in the future. And to guide us through that nostril of motion... Uh, We are talking to the rather splendid Tom Standage. Now, Tom is the deputy editor of a magazine called The Economist, which many of you will know. Big, famous, august publication. Um, And he is also the author of a brand new book called A History of Motion. Yes, we talked to Tom. Tom is one of those people who's
1: like so much cleverer than me that I felt blessed simply to be caught up in the wake of his knowledge. He knows so many things. He's researched the history of everything about technology and cars and where they've come from and what happens when they develop and where they go and how it is related to what clothes you wear and what you've got in your pocket and the numbers that are coming out of your phone and whether we're going to have flying cars and all of that stuff and whether it's going to be good or bad for the planet and what should be done about it either way,
0: yes? Yeah, he's also done that on about seven other topics, uh, completely unrelated as well. I don't, I don't understand people. As he's the as kind fun, of person that just makes
1: go. makes you feel you have totally wasted what limited brain cells you have.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, I knew that already. Tom That's didn't fine. make me feel that. Well, at least not for the first time. I knew that. Yes, look, Tom is great. This is a, a whistle-stop tour of all of the things covered in his book. Uh, but not, well, not all of them. There's loads more. So you should go out and buy it. It is called A History of Motion uh, and is available now. So just before
1: any of that, just the usual disclaimer, we do work for environmental charities, don't we all? Yes. Oh, poor little snuffly muchkin. But these are very much our own views, so if anything that we say makes you want to blow your frustration into a hanky and lob it in our direction, please do so at us, but not with anyone for whom we work, yes? Correct. We are also a listener funded podcast. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. You can join them. You can chip in a few quid to help with the running costs of this esteemed organ. We are wubbly wubbly wobbly, dot dot No, that's wrong. Oh, www.patreon. Oh. Have you noticed that on my new podcast, Your no, Brain on Climate, my new podcast, Your Brain on Climate, I can't get it right on there either. You yeah. <laughs> just can't just can't do it i've had to have so many takes www.patreon.com slash is how you can help fund us yes Sweet good time. hey doc you better back up we don't have enough road to get up to 88 roads where we're going we don't need roads
0: So we saw a thing recently. We read a thing, some words saying that young people aren't learning to drive anymore because it's, you know, not it's too expensive. They've got smartphones. They don't need cars anymore. Avocados or driving avocados. They've got avocados and things uh, and laughing gas and you know all the things that young people like. So is that is it true? Is the car no longer cool? And what does that mean if it's no longer cool? What's the future for the uh, car?
2: I'm I'm the old person in the room here, so you know you should be telling me that I think, but certainly I've I can see my daughter's 22, 21, 22, and um she's got no interest in learning to drive at all. Um, I think one of her friends knows how to drive, but mostly they don't. But if you look at the numbers, the bigger numbers certainly um, across america across europe uh, people are learning to drive later or not at all the fraction of even americans with driving licenses um in all age groups is um i think pretty much all age groups is going down but you know the in particular the idea that you i mean when i was 17 first
0: thing i did right was yeah. get my provisional license and learn oh, how to drive saying. right Oh, right. it's counting right. down to days i mean exactly. but partly that was because i lived in a rural area where like that was the way i could get anywhere like, no, I, that's absolutely uh,
2: understandable. But um, so so it seems a lot less urgent than it does. And then if you look at the kind of big numbers, um, the number of miles driven even in America, the world's most car-loving country, is still going up every year, but it's going up more slowly than the number of cars or the number of people. So on average, each car and each person is driving less each year. And in fact, that peaked in 2004. And in Western Europe, it peaked in the 1990s. So essentially, everybody is driving less than they used to. Um, That doesn't mean there aren't more cars on the road, but individually, each of those cars is traveling fewer miles each year. And the broader trend and this is kind of obvious once you point it out is that owning a car is becoming more and more of a hassle it's -hmm. more and more expensive and you have to like pay to park outside your own house and pay to drive into the center of london and pay to go over certain bridges and all that kind of stuff um and at the same time not owning a car is becoming more and more convenient largely because of smartphones so um i remember when google maps first came out and i had like an iphone 4 or 5 i can't remember what it was but it was the first time i realized i had to get from like one place in london to another place in london and i realized this was like a video game right you type in the address of where you want to go <laughs> and the, and the phone and google maps would go right if you can get to the end of the road in two minutes there's a bus and then when you get on that bus yeah, yeah, you, yeah. um you then change at this station and so and it was honestly it was like uh, i absolutely loved it because it was it suddenly makes public transport much more accessible much easier to use you're not just hanging around a bus stop hoping that the little screen thing that tells you there's a bus in three minutes it was always wrong wasn't it Uh, it never worked but somehow you know google maps works a lot better and um and so that makes public transport on its own much better. And then you've also got all of these new things like ride hailing and scooters and dockless bikes and you know whatever else comes in the future, flying cars and autonomous cars, stuff like that. Um, you can basically weave all those things together using the smartphone. And in my book, I call this the Internet of Motion. But it, it means that collectively, all of those alternatives to the car, all of those alternatives are much more attractive. Um, and so you have this phenomenon where car ownership is more expensive and less convenient, and car non-ownership is less expensive and more convenient. And so, surprise, surprise, at the margin, and obviously this isn't true for people who live in the country and so on, but if you're a young person who lives in the city, the chances are you can manage without having to learn to drive and having a car much more easily than you could have done 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And as a result, we see you know fewer people using cars and, and car ownership being less you know, less sort of important to people's identities, and then the flip side of that is also that the phone is the is the technology, like the car was before it, that gives you the freedom to meet people, the freedom to get around because you can use all of these apps, uh, the freedom to shop. I mean, these were things that we used to rely on. But the freedom to get food, right? You could just like use an app and food shows up on your doorstep. These are all things you used to have to have a car for, and now you can do them all with your phone instead. And so, in that sense, the the smartphone is the successor to the car, and it's also the technology that you define yourself through. So you used to have a car. And you'd like customize it and drop the suspension or whatever you you know however you, or you wouldn't do Tented that because Windows. you thought. Because you thought, right, or you'd think, actually, that's stupid, and I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to express myself by not doing that. Um, but the point is that, you know, the phone is now the technology that people use to define themselves to their friends, whether it's like the choice of phone and the choice of case and the choice of ringtone, or also how you what you choose to share on social platforms and, and so on and so on. So all of those functions that used to be bound up with the car have now moved into the smartphone. And I think that also makes the car much less important um, to the young, the youth of today. Uh, that
1: it that it used to be Driving
2: sucks.
1: you said a thing there you said it in passing you said the word flying cars oh yeah are you being silly are we gonna have flying cars what's happening like 10 20 years from now what's transport gonna look like uh, yeah well i think i think the um, the crucial
2: thing is what i'm trying to the point i'm trying to make with the internet of motion is that The ability to stitch together lots of different kinds of transport gives you a lot more flexibility. So when new things come along, you haven't bent the world out of shape because you put all of your chips down on one technology, and that's what we did with cars. So before that, we had horse-drawn transport, and they had this big problem in the 1890s. They started to realize that horse-drawn transport in cities was unsustainable. There was too much horse manure piling up. There was too much traffic. There was too much noise. There were too many accidents. And at that point, they recognized that something had to change, but they weren't sure what was going to be the replacement. And then, of course, the automobile comes along, and the the proponents of the car say, well, there's no horse manure, so we've solved that problem. There's going to be no traffic because once you get rid of the horses, the horse and the carriage takes up twice as much room as just the carriage. So you've suddenly got twice as much space on the road. So boom, no traffic jams. It's going to be no accidents because you can't scare a, a car like you scare a horse. So that's <laughs> going to go away as well. And it's also going to be much quieter because the horse-drawn vehicles had steel you know, metal rims on the wheels and cars had rubber tyres. So they're going to be silent. So all of the problems were going to go away. And all, and of, of, course, that, all
0: of that came true, didn't it? Yeah, of we... course it did, yes. There's <laughs> our, no pollution famously... at all. Uh, perfectly safe, silent, unpolluted roads.
2: Yes, well so there's this hilarious interview with Thomas Edison and he's like, Yeah, cars are gonna you know it's gonna be the coming of the auto, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. And he said that um he predicted that downtown Manhattan would look kind of deserted because there would be you know, because they they all it. just assumed that every every horse drawn vehicle would be replaced by exactly one car, nothing else would change, no one else would buy any more cars, you know, they'd just be place things for the rich, and of course that was all completely wrong. Um so the mistake we have to avoid making now is, you know, saying, Well, we've got all this problem is with cars, we've got all the same problems that we had with horses. So what's the single technology that's going to fix them? And that's why I'm emphasising that stitching together lots of things, rather than just saying it's electric cars or it's autonomous cars, or whatever, um, I think we have to be flexible and we have to recognise that it's different things in different places in Lagos if you if you order a if you use a ride-hailing app what you end up with is a motorbike taxi um because that makes more sense in that context and you get you know you get different you get maxi taxis and and doll machine you get these big sort of shared taxis in in much of the developing world that we don't really have in 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 uh, the developed world but you know they're a bit like kind of uber uber sharing but um but they work on sort of fixed routes so there's all these different sorts of transport that we could be opening ourselves up to and um that's my point about flexibility but going back to the flying cars um one of the things i think we are going to see in some cities is basically yes autonomous passenger drones so you get into a thing and it flies you to you know from one rooftop to another you can totally imagine this in you know gridlocked um, south american cities where there are already i mean they're, they're, we've we've seen this in, in new york when when the un comes to town and i think the un is on it's been on in the last few days hasn't it but new york becomes completely impossible to move around when it's the unga the un general assembly because you've got all the world leaders you've got massive security every time any one of them moves like from the UN building to their hotel they just shut the streets down and there's like masses of police cars and so the only way to get around at all during that week is to walk um and if you're mega rich and you don't want to do that then th- they actually had this pass this um helicopter shuttle service that was going from the east side to the west side of Manhattan <laughs> um, because it was like I can't be bothered to walk so I'm going to take the helicopter um but I mean I think you know that w- there are ex- there are a bunch of companies trying to build these things and um I uh, you know I wouldn't want to go and. one now but, um, <laughs> but but you know that was true of airplanes a uh, hundred years ago so i wouldn't write it off and i think that technology of basically electric uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicle so it's not really a car it hasn't got wheels you don't it. it's a pogo it's stick a, yeah well <laughs> I mean, who knows what it is i mean it, but i think that if we have anything called a flying car it's going to look a lot more like that we have you ever opened up uber and seen the helicopter tab
0: well, I haven't, but I heard I heard that it exists. What? I heard yeah, it yeah, was, totally. What totally, does that, it, does that actually, You sense. only see the
2: tab Hang if there's on, like that. a helicopter nearby that you could take. But if you go, for example, if you go to the a couple of times I've had to go to the the big advertising festival in the south of France in Cannes and um and so they then have – they have an Ubercopter that goes from the waterfront down, you know, in Cannes uh, to the to the local airport um, for people who don't want to, you know, take a taxi or go in an Uber. And, uh, and so, you know, if you open up Uber – and I was just taking a normal Uber, right? So I was uh, – and in fact, we had to do it in disguise because the taxi drivers were all um, – campaigning against uber and so they were blocking the roads and so um so i called an uber and this guy showed up in a it was lovely actually it was a vintage like 80s mercedes um convertible um and uh and so i sat in the front he gave me a a, a sort of sun hat and so i looked like my grandmother um but otherwise i was going to get really bad sunburn from the. but anyway when i was calling that uber that was the one time i saw the um the helicopter tab in the in the uber app because i could have taken the helicopter it would have been like you know two hundred dollars but yeah it is there sometimes so watch out you'll get the flying car tab um and you'll be able to order your flying car
0: right dave you, you get 10 points if you manage to successfully leave this interview by helicopter by uber helicopter so Challenge that's acceptable the i've got a little flat roof out there exactly. yeah, <laughs> so you're all <laughs> you're ready trying, to go right. yeah exactly
1: <laughs> all right very good
0: So who's the we you're talking about there? Because a, a, a little bit earlier you were talking about you know we we could uh, we need to have um, this kind of flexibility of transport options, but that means someone's got to decide to do that, isn't it? Because because otherwise because the, the people who want autonomous cars to dominate they don't want flexible transport systems they want autonomous cars everywhere don't they uh, and that's not the same as having a nice integrated wizzy public transport do it all by your your app thing so so what what needs to happen to make sure that we don't get gridlock of autonomous cars owned by you know some very rich French capital person, well, we've sort of had a glimpse of this with
2: what with what happened with the scooters because, um I remember going to San Francisco like three years ago, and there were just scooters everywhere, and I also that year went to Shenzhen and there were piles of bicycles under all the trees, and I said, "Why are there all these piles of bicycles and it was because they just invented dockless um bike about four years ago they just invented the dockless you know bike rental service and it was completely unregulated so in both of those cases you had venture capital backed startups that were just flooding the streets with their particular kind of scooter and um trying to grab market share and the result was that people were throwing them in you know throwing them in rivers and stealing them and leaving them lying around it was there just, also it was... the
0: famous example of when dockless bicycles went to manchester and they just immediately got put in the canal and and all the yes all exactly. the Chinese Companies well, were like. Oh, I mean, there are lots we're of try an, somewhere else.
2: <laughs> there was an attempt to launch um, a bike sharing scheme in, I think it was Cambridge in the 60s or 70s, and they just all got stolen instantly. I mean, the smartphone makes it different because you can you can have a QR code that unlocks the bike, and then the bike you make the bike really heavy, um, and then you make it so that it locks and it has GPS and you can see where it is. And you know, the smartphone totally transforms the viability of these sorts of schemes. And the same with scooters. But the reason I mentioned scooters is that um, in the cities where there weren't rules. So the, the the one of the rules of thumb um, that the autonomous cars people talk about is they say that in America anything is allowed unless there's a law against it and in Europe nothing is allowed unless there's a law that says it's allowed <laughs> and this is why you
0: principle isn't it right
2: exactly right so this is why you have um so much you have got even the chinese companies are testing their autonomous cars in california and in arizona because the rules there are so lax so you basically all you have to do is tell the regulator that you're you're doing it and you don't have to do anything else and you have to like i think you have to file a report now of how many times you, you your disengagements but the, the regulatory requirements are incredibly lax whereas in other parts of the world um even Massachusetts or um, or say Singapore they have rules that you have to your autonomous car has to actually pass a driving test um so they they say it has to be able to do this this and that. so there are, there are big variations in the rules but anyway one of the things that happens is that you in places where there were not rules against dumping lots of scooters on the street so in, in London we didn't get this because those vehicles were not they were illegal to use on the pavement and they were illegal to use on the road you just couldn't use them at all and so we did not have venture capital based you know funded companies putting dozens and dozens of scooters on london streets because they would all have just been taken away straight away by the police um but it did happen in other places like San Francisco. And what San Francisco realised was that they needed to introduce rules. And so they ended up doing kind of what we did with mobile phone spectrum in the back in the day. You'd have an auction. And they said, we're going to have three or four, whatever it is, companies that are allowed to do these scooters. And we're going to have you all bid for you know, how you would do it. And so they had like a dozen companies all place their bids. And, and then some of them won. And then they said, each of you that gets a licence, you get it for three years. You have to abide by these rules. You have to give us this amount of data. You can only have this number of scooters. So they... They basically came up with a model that said um, we can't just have a free-for-all. And I think it's going to be the same with autonomous cars that – you know, some, some autonomous cars, we can get them to work, maybe, you know, privately owned ones, well, they'll, they'll just go wherever people want them to go. But when you have fleets, what we don't want is, is um, uh, you know, companies flooding the streets with empty autonomous cars that are driving around looking for people to pick up because there's just going to be total, total gridlock. So I think what's more likely is that we'll get um, cities saying we're going to have a license for, you know, one or two operators of, of uh, autonomous car fleets and you can bid for that license and then you have to, you know like with a telecoms license you have to have a certain coverage requirement so you need to you need to provide service within this area you can't just stay away from the you know from the areas you don't want to go to and just stay in like in the downtown area where all the rich people are um and there'll be so there'll be conditions and then there'll be you know we can take the license away if you if we don't like how you behave and so on and so on I think that's the way that autonomous cars will be be regulated um, and then it'll be even stricter in places like China I think you know I think we're going to see deployment of autonomous cars in China first if we see it anywhere because the authorities will just say right this sector of the city we are just clearing everything else off the road it's autonomous cars only no pedestrians no lorries no bikes nothing and then we're also going to add all the sensors and things to the to the streets to make it easier for the for the autonomous cars and under those circumstances you could you they've got complete control over um over what those vehicles are and of course if you then write something on social media that's rude about the government you know then you won't be allowed to use them very
0: very foolish words man
1: So, when you talk to a lot of greenies, and this is a sort of greeny minded podcast, right? When you talk to a lot of greenies about transport, there's some combination of three things that they say transport should do, which is generally be green, secondly, when it's green, it should be cheap. So the, the green stuff should be cheap or indeed free. We had a question from Babel listener Marika saying like she'd love to see free electric public transport. And how do we kind of get that? And then also to be good for places. So to make where you live a nicer place in some way. So not to have constant gridlock and to, you know, uh, make make it so kids can play in the street without yeah, getting run over by it. All that sort of thing. So bit. what? how do, to what extent should people who worry about that stuff worry about? What's coming down the road? We're Well, I think
2: what's interesting is I. So we. Do, I think we'd all agree with those with those goals. Um, and I've thought about this specifically in the context of autonomous cars, um, which is that in order to get the outcomes you want, where you don't have streets flooded with these vehicles, um, and where you price. Th- you know you could basically by by setting pricing you can you can discourage some kinds of behavior for example you could have a zombie tax so if i go to the office in my autonomous car and i haven't got a parking spot i can't tell it to drive round around and around and the office while i'm and then pick me up at the end of the day if you have a zombie tax you 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 basically say no no driving around like that that's not on uh, another tax you could have is you could you know if you want to pe- people worry that autonomous cars will lead to people having you know doing much much longer commutes where they sleep in the car, mm. um, and you know that could be quite cool, but that would you know have impacts on uh, on sprawl. It's also using a lot of energy. Is that really something you want? So again, you could you could have rules that discourage that. the The difficulty, the the, the fundamental underlying difficulty, is that to get the um, the sorts of outcomes we're talking about, where things are greener and cheaper, you actually have to regulate them really tightly, um, and so they're sort of. It, it, that's what's scary about it, that you have to have very powerful, very muscular regulation. And once you have powerful muscular regulation, then, you know, that could be scary in other ways, right? Because um, uh, the Chinese will have very powerful muscular regulation, but not necessarily in, in ways that uh, that foreigners or indeed their, some of their own population would like. And so that's the difficulty that um, that autonomous cars in particular offer this a very fine-grained tool of social control that you could... You could basically regulate certain kinds of behaviour out of existence, like zombie taxis and and sleeping in your car to commute, uh, if you don't want those things to happen, and you want to control things like urban sprawl. But the very same levers that, that allow you to do that also allow you to do lots of very bad things, like say, you know, people of this ethnicity are not allowed sure. to go to that neighbourhood. And so yeah. that's what's that's what's really scary about it. And and uh, and that's what I think you know, it's very important that we're aware of that danger and that, that's one of the things i'm doing with this book is sort of pointing that out i mean another aspect of this is data um so we've always been yeah, caught you, out. Talk, we, you
0: talked about sort of data being the new pollution which i thought exactly was data exhaust frame. so
2: we were caught out with horses the you know the the, the horse manure turned out to be this big problem incidentally
0: incidentally i have a lot of time for a book which opens with a detailed uh, introduction to basically it's all about a l- lot of horse
2: manure and it's really disgusting and in fact the i i had to cut it down my my editor said there's this is just <laughs> too much too, shit tom too much, just shit. too much horse shit here and my wife was like oh no not another story about horse manure. oh god and so i actually apologized to her in the acknowledgement but yes they, it, i mean it's it's quite gruesome the discover the uh, description of what they called mud in victorian london and it was i love how prudish they t- are <laughs> right but there's this over a, there there's this amazing uh, eyewitness description of the (laughs) strand which is quite near where where i work in london and um and it's the strand it's 1895 and every time it rains all of the mud and we know what it is really turns into this stuff and it's got the consistency of of thick pea soup and there are people who go around in these kind of big galoshes with ladles trying to get rid of it but what's amazing is that as the carriages go up and down the strand they spray this stuff all over the pedestrians um and all over the uh, all over the shops and the houses so the shops and the houses are basically coated they're splattered with shit up to about 15 feet um and this is totally normal um you know people uh don't go outside when it's raining in victorian london kids because it's not going to be a pretty sight so yeah there's a there's a lot of this so
0: i'm so beginning to think is... the past wasn't always better <laughs> yes yes i know
2: exactly it's yes, possibly um, possibly not very nice no antibiotics and um no broadband and no heating and oh my god no babble so we know horse was horse shit was bad and then we replaced it with we said okay let's have cars they don't produce horse shit so we'll we'll be cool but they turned out to produce these other kinds of pollution particulates and in particular co2 um uh you know turns out to be the biggest problem and uh and so they contribute to to climate change and so now we're saying oh well, that's fine we just switch to electric cars now you still do get particulates from electric cars uh, you don't you know you obviously don't get the co2 unless um is that off you
1: know. the tires is, it? is that, what that yeah it's from? the tires yeah, and, the, yeah. and the brake pads i mean it's, it's not brake. so
2: much of the problem yeah. with the brake pads because if cars are electric cars are using regenerative braking then they're not applying the brakes pads to the wheels and so um so i always have my car set to the like really super aggressive regenerative braking um but anyway the um you know, you, if you replace them with electric cars, you've got rid of the CO two problem, provided you're using sustainable electricity to charge them. But it turns out that these sorts of future modes of transport that I, I'm talking about here, so the the scooters, the autonomous cars, even Uber, um, have this data exhaust. And we've given that we've been caught out by the exhaust on two previous occasions. We should probably be worrying about the exhaust. Now, with Uber, there's this really kind of classic. Um, example from their past. I think it was 2012. They did a a blog post on the Uber blog called Rides of Glory. And what they did was they analysed the traffic patterns in different American cities to figure out which cities had the largest number of one-night stands. And they defined a one night stand oh, as dear. people going to a part a neighborhood they'd never been to before in the middle of the night, probably on a weekend, and then leaving very early in the morning and going home, and they're never going back again. And um, and so they did all this big data analysis, and they published this this blog post on it. And this was just at the height of you know Uber's tech bro culture, and it was really out of out of control um, under their uh, original CEO.
0: And yeah, he um, was a bit of a maverick, wasn't he? It, it, like, you could put it that way. I yeah. mean,
2: some people just say he was an asshole, but yeah. you know, it was, <laughs> it was anyway. So, so so anyway, so they published. This what they thought was this kind of hilarious blog post revealing that they can track everyone going everywhere, and and of course the civil liberties and the privacy people went absolutely ballistic and said you can't do this. So they took the blog post down, but of course it's still out there in the in the internet archive in the Wayback Machine. Um, but that was a reminder to everyone that you know these these sorts of these private companies in this case will be tracking where you're going and and uh, do you trust them not to be broken into and because there's an awful lot of these data breaches happening and now they're increasingly being asked to share that data with cities and you know are cities any good at data privacy and you know are they very good at running it infrastructure some of them are some of them aren't so you know there's there is a potential for the um for the personal travel data where were you at what time to come and bite us in the arse
0: Hello, I'm Chris Packham, and you're listening to Sustain a Babble. Your, uh, your book is very, very comprehensive on the history of the car and, and where, how we got to where we are, because a lot of what you're talking about is a an exciting future where, you know, potentially a lot of our journeys are not in private cars anymore. But right now, well, in the UK, what, we've got 37 million private cars, something like that. Um And the thing that made me most cross about why we are where we are is the idea of dynamic obsolescence. Oh, hang on. I'm going to play the dynamic obsolescence music. Thank you. Yeah. That's the <laughs> one. Uh, this this is the thing. A concept I would know about... Um, Oh, what's the, I've forgotten the phrase now, but the, the other obsolescence, built-in obsolescence, the yeah, other, which yeah. just came from the light bulb, right? Uh, but dynamic obsolescence. Well, it wasn't built in. I mean,
2: I don't know. I think the myth that you know they could have made
0: an infinite light bulb, but they chose not to because they wanted to sell more light bulbs. Oh, Asks. let me have that one, Tom. Let okay. me have, let me <laughs> yeah. cling on to that myth. We're not talking about that anymore. I'm just going to we're going to say that's true, and I'm going to live in that. <laughs> they made a thing yeah. that defies the laws of physics, yeah. but they wouldn't yeah, yeah, sell exactly. It well anyone. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The <But> dynamic <laughs> obsolescence. This is the thing I didn't know about. And well, explain to us what that is, and um, yeah, and how it manifests in cars. Well, this
2: stuff. is. I. I it. It's, it comes from the. The history of the of car manufacturing. And what's really amazing, I found about this, when I went and looked at it, is how um, how closely related it is to the way everything else is sold now and and, and and manufactured now. So, you know, famously Ford with the Model T Pioneers moving assembly line production. And this is incredibly, incredibly efficient. It means that the Model T can be produced in enormous quantities at very low cost. And I hadn't realized just how amazing this was, but um, the numbers are that in America in 1900, there were 8,000 cars on the road. And in 1920, there were 8 million, most of which were Model Ts. So that's wow. a thousandfold increase in 20 years. Wow. And a thousandfold increase in 20 years is the same as doubling every two years 10 times, because two to the power 10 is 1,024, as I'm sure you're aware. Oh, I so was, I was that's, say, yeah. now, what does doubling every two years sound like? It is Moore's law. So we used to, in the computer age, the idea that our computers get much better very, very quickly, um, or that they get much cheaper and that, you know, every iPhone or every smartphone, you know, every every year or two years, you get another one. It's much, much faster. And then you kind of use the old one. And you can't believe how slow and rubbish it is. Um, so it turns out that... You don't have you don't have to be making microscopic circuits inside chips um, to achieve this kind of uh, Moore's law exponential growth. They did it with cars in the t- first two decades of the twentieth century, which is amazing, and it's because mass production was so so efficient. And this is how nearly everything is made. It's how smartphones are made now. So smartphones are made like Model Ts, but they're not, but they're sold like. General Motors. So General Motors was the other big, you know, American car maker um, that sort of changed the way we think about things. And what what GM did. So Ford was one of the reasons that this was so efficient and so cheap was that Ford was basically making the same car. Famously, it could only you could only buy it in black. Um, and so they're just making lots and lots of the same thing, and they hardly changed the design over about twenty the twenty years they made it. And the problem was that it then started. To, and the idea was cheap and cheerful, and the advertising was was all very kind of you get what you know it, it is what it says it is. Um, the problem was that uh, American consumers started to want. Such a bit more sophisticated and they um they basically wanted a bit more choice and they wanted um they wanted to express themselves through their cars and gm recognized this so they start to have this ladder of brands a gm is basically assembled by serial acquisition of lots and lots of car makers so they end up with this this multiplicity of black brands and then they aim different brands at different people at different price points and the idea is that you buy a car um, and gm was, was willing to lend its customers the money to buy the car and they had a separate finance organisation which is still there um, Ford wasn't Ford was very old fashioned about this and he was like if you haven't got the money I'm not selling you a car and GM was like we'll lend you the money to buy a car and then, we'll lend it we'll, and then in two years time we'll take the car off you and lend you the money to buy another one and then you can move up the brand ladder to the next car and the other thing we'll do and this answers your question is we'll slightly change the design of our cars every year right. mm-hmm. so that when you've got a new car and you roll up outside your house everyone looks at it and goes oh that's the new model and then they look at their car from last year or the year before and they go oh mine looks a bit out of date now and that was a completely now uh, you know under the hood it was basically the same car um they hardly the first time
1: it. anyone had ever done something like that then that as far as of... i can
2: yes wow. exactly i mean it's an aspirational good and then you you did i mean you could argue that this is borrowing from the fashion industry and in fact gm hired people from the fashion industry because you know fashion is all about Keeping up with the times, and the fact that it changes quickly, and you look down your nose at people who aren't keeping up with the times, and you know uh, at what are the latest fashions from Paris and so on. But this was deliberately applying all of that, and also color. So having a choice of colors, a choice of designs was a deliberate. So I described GM in the book as the opposite of Ford. They are they're doing everything the other way round, and people loved what Ford did for about fifteen years, and then they said, "Okay, we're ready for something else," and they switched to what GM did. So basically, smartphones today they're built like Fords on a mass production line, but they're sold like GMs because there's like different price points and there's different models and they're aimed at different market segments. And then of course, there's a new one coming around the corner all the time. And so then, I mean, look at what Apple's just done with the iPhone 13. So the iPhone 13 has the basic 13 model, not the Pro. The 13 has two cameras on the back, like the 12 did. But the 12 had two cameras and the camera bump, one above the other. And the 13 has them arranged diagonally. And this is entirely so that you can tell whether someone's holding a 13 or a 12. And so now when you God. look at a 12, you go, oh, that's just a 12. Oh, that's a year old. And when you see someone with a 13, you're going to go, oh, it's got the diagonal camera thing. That's a 13, isn't it? And yeah, that's exactly what it is. So this is this is the legacy of GM. And of course, lots and lots of other industries did exactly the same thing. I mean, people even applied this in, in ha- people tried to do this in housing. I'm not sure it really works in housing. But, you know, in lots of other areas, here's the, here's the new model of this year of, of, of whatever um you know whether it's tvs or or i mean it, you know it's still most obvious in cars and smartphones but um but uh you know you do get it in, in other kinds of consumer consumer goods as well where you have here is the new 2022 model of blah um and that's meant to make you want it because it looks up to date and it also by the same token makes your older model look crappy and, and out of date and and past it.
0: Nissan is the car for you it's got all the features that a modern woman wants, including all manner of makeup mirrors. So there might be a very short answer to this question, but can we in any way persuade the car industry not to do that? Because we need them to stop making new cars every year, which, especially if they're just the same car with a different colour or a different hood, like how so I, how I, do we persuade yeah. them to give that up? And uh, by well, persuade I mean, you mean. Uh, with a with a sledgehammer. <laughs> well, that I don't sort know. I situation. mean, there's a couple
2: of things. I mean, first, firstly, there are people who love to have uh, old cars and run them into the ground, right? Like people who are still driving seventies, you know, Volvos <sighs> that you can run on on vegetable oil and things. Actually, you probably can't use those legally. On, on certainly not in London anymore. So, so there is a, you know, there are there is the philosophy. There are the people who get a new car every two years or three years or whatever. And then there's the philosophy of um, I'm going to buy a car and I'm going to I'm going to keep keep it going until it falls apart. But I think the main the main way to um, make this less important is that if private car ownership is less widespread then this doesn't matter right because i don't really care what model year the uber i get into is i just want to get from a to b and so i think it's decoupling the car from being a status symbol and encouraging people to use something you know something else a sustainable, like posting on Instagram or, or having a solar or panels yeah oh, exactly who knows yes. whatever, whatever it can be um, or actually it's probably going to be like augmented reality jewellery or
1: something I know it's going to be something mad like that <laughs> can um, you come back on I, set another time and talk to us about augmented reality jewellery please <laughs>
2: yeah honestly you heard it here first, first but i but i think that's it i think the reason this is a problem is because um is because people's self-identity is in many cases so bound up with their car that they don't want to be seen with an out-of-date one and the idea of the car is a. I mean, there was that great vw golf ad a few years ago where they had you know people in their vehicles and what it said about them um and there was like a guy on a speedboat and and he was like yeah i'm, I'm worried i'm a bit too small downstairs and then there was a guy in a, in a ferrari <laughs> saying you know i'm a little bit short uh and then there's a guy in a you know a, a big a big you know beefy suv saying you know I, i'm uh, i'm a bit of a wimp or i'm 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 i was scared of people in the playground and then there's the guy at the end who's like the normal guy and he gets into his golf and he, and it says i'm going down the shops and the idea was that the golf the 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 golf was the car that you chose not to make a statement it was just like the vanilla car um and it's you know it's a it's, it's a perfectly good car. But but that was the point they were trying to make. They were trying to say, but of course, by by not making a choice, you're making a choice. Well, exactly. right? so by just, by a, choosing not to express yourself, you're still expressing yourself. So, right. But this kind of brings us back to where we started, which is that um, if you aren't using cars as status symbols and you know it's quite heartening to see what's happening in china where it looks as though it's possible that an entire generation of people who we expected to want to buy cars have said you know what i can't be bothered it's too much of a hassle and i can just use ride hailing instead and spend my money on a nice smartphone um and there are surveys showing that you know chinese consumers um a minority of them think that uh, a car is a desirable status symbol so wow. uh, that i hope is the way that things will go and if we have more a choice in modes of transport and we have more shared vehicles and we have less emphasis on private car ownership then caring about exactly what model year we're driving and what color and what trim will will matter a lot less and then the car industry will have to respond and it will have to make the vehicles that the ride-hailing fleets want and, and what do they want they want reliability and you know all that sort of thing rather than they want the design to change every two years.
1: So you've been talking a lot about companies doing things and about the history of, of car companies having power to shape markets and shape trends. And something I was wondering is, and I was thinking a bit about the Volkswagen emissions Hoo ha! Here, go back and listen to episode twenty-five. It's five years ago, now, amazing. Dieselgate—that diesel that, that, that yeah. long diesel ago. ago, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when it was revealed, you know, that uh, car companies can be a bit naughty, and there's been so many examples over the years of car companies lobbying against environmental rules and regulations, and it made me think: Well, who's got the power now? Then, which companies are it, are car companies still as powerful as they were, or is it starting to move more towards your apples and your smartphones and basically if you wanted to worry about who has the power who's got it
2: now yeah no i think i think most people would say it is the googles or the facebook's of this world because they do have this inordinate power to shape how we see the world um you know through our screens and what we see on our feeds and what we see when we search the internet and I, you know there's a lot of concern about about the you know the power of those companies and, and understandably so um, and meanwhile you know the the car makers are very much on the back foot i think um, not just because of dieselgate but also because climate regulation means that you know the sale of new combustion engine cars is going to be halted in many countries and many cities and in fact in britain we've we've moved that date you know closer haven't we which i think is very very good um and i think that's great actually i think that puts them that forces them to change and they are doing so and there are good signs i think the number of electric cars sold in britain and germany um has gone from half a percent in 2019 to 10 percent in sorry half percent in 2020 to 10 percent in 2021 it's something like that i mean it's a big jump obviously it's not 90 percent like norway but um but i think that is that is sort of forcing them to change and in fact we've seen this with you know with cafe regulations and with emissions regulations where the eu rules that had this steadily tightening ratchet um forced them to find ways to make cars much much more uh fuel efficient and you end up with the three cylinder engines and these cars that do you know 70 80 miles a gallon um and all the rest of it so um so i think it's i think it's good that the screws are being tightened they need to be tightened a lot more i hope we'll see more screw tightening from the cop 26 conference and you know clearly even if you add up all these things the other thing is that you know cars are the easiest bit of climate change to fix right if we if i could wave a magic wand and turn all the cars in in the world into electric cars um you've only got and then assuming you've got you know sustainable grids to charge them on and everything yeah. you've only actually dealt with 10 percent of global emissions uh, and they're the easiest ones because we know how oh. to build electric cars there are lots more really really difficult things like how do you decarbonize agriculture and aviation and shipping and steel making and cement we don't have good answers to those so the cars are the kind of easy bit and and the kind of if i buy an electric car i've saved the world i'm afraid you haven't <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you it's know like
1: there's a lot of the world <laughs> well
2: Which exactly is. i mean the, the problem is then you get the kind of the, the skeptics on the other side going, well, if it's not really going to save the world, I'll go on driving my SUV, thank you very much, oh, it's not gosh. going to help. And Those that's bastards. just, that's bollocks yes. as well. So so it has to be, it's a necessary but not sufficient step. And actually the hard bit is going to be decarbonising things like agriculture and industry, um, which is, you know, we don't have the technology to do.
1: Hey, yeah, hey.
2: The underlying thing, the reason it turns out why... Henry Ford could make Model Ts using Moore's law, um, which we kind of think, oh, it's computer age. He can't, he can't have done that. Is that Moore's law turns out to be a com, the computer version of a much deeper law called Wright's law, with a W. And Wright's law says that when you're manufacturing things, the more of them you make, um, the better at it you get, and the cheaper it becomes, and the more efficient it becomes. And in fact, there's this percentage that you know every um, every time you double the number of things that you've made, you get you know, typically 20% better at it or 30% better at it. And you see this from all sorts of manufacturing. And so the Moore's Law is just the version of that for chips. But it turns out that um, Wright's Law also applied to cars, and it's now applying to things like solar panels and batteries. And so when people say, well, the problem with electric cars is we're going to need to make a lot of batteries, and we haven't got enough factories, and it's going to be too expensive, the way you make it cheaper is by building more factories and Get making more of, more of them, because yeah. then you learn how to do it more cheaply. I and mean, this is what we've seen with solar power. Solar power has got Cheaper, incredibly quickly. Even batteries—I mean, lithium-ion battery prices per kilowatt hour have come down by ninety percent in the last what twenty years or something. So, um, so the answer is not to complain that these things are too expensive and we can't make enough of them. The answer is to make more of them because that way you get more of them and they become cheaper to make. And so that's why we need to really put our foot down on the electrification of of uh, of transport. Um, and then you can use those—you know—those batteries for lots of other things too. And you can use the cars for grid storage. And you know, there's all sorts of wonderful things you can do once you uh, electrify the fleet. So we just need to go as fast as we possibly can in that direction and not faff around by saying, well, let's have, um, let's have more hybrids or something like that. I just think we need to we need to go as fast as we can. That said, I must confess, I did buy a plug-in hybrid because there aren't enough charging you points bastard. for the, for the you full bastard. electric.
1: Yeah. So, oh, yes. Yes. That was one of those interviews where my mouth was on some sort of delay and I felt like I was learning things so fast that I hadn't (laughs) finished learning them um, when I had to learn some more things.
0: Or when Uh, you had to ask a question. I
1: had to ask a question. Platy Gally
0: knows things. Well, yes. Lots of things. Yes, he knows lots of things. He's put them in a book, which is is good. That's what people who know things should do. You liked his book, didn't you? I did like his book. I really did like his book. I, I guess the thing that I was comforted by because I thought this was going to be a book that was going to say this is why autonomous vehicles are going to take over the world and that was you know I was preparing myself to freak out and he's not saying that they're not going to take over the world but what he is saying is that you don't want to think about what comes after the car in terms of what's the next technology what's you know is it electric cars is it hydrogen cars is it flying cars what his point is as he said in the interview. Is that if you're gonna, ha- you know, the, the internet of motion? I think he calls it, where like everything, every way of getting around, scooters, bikes, buses, pogo stick, is, is what? Pogo stick, electric pogo stick. I can't get, to, I
1: can't wait to get on one of them electric kangaroos he's talking about.
0: Exactly, it's all going to be accessible by your smartphone. It's all going to be integrated into Google Maps or whatever. Um, and is that it's good. Very- you don't like,
1: you don't like that kind of thing.
0: Well, I don't like it if it's all owned by one company. But as he he, he talked about some interesting examples from Scandinavia in, in his book, which is you know where cities actually kind of coordinate these things and have apps that are uh, that are run much more for the benefit of people rather than for the benefit of um, people who are on Google. But yeah, I I do get where he's coming from there, and that that seems like a future that that could work as opposed to one that just makes somebody some other great industrialist massively rich i mean it probably will make industrialists massively rich but i like the idea of an integrated bunch of technologies some of which are very simple like bikes they just have gps in them
1: i think i really enjoyed the chat with tom he was a lovely bloke and i feel like i learned a year's worth of stuff in 40 minutes but a thing that I think we should note is he is a deputy editor of the Economist, which for those who don't know it is extremely good, but pretty kind of free markety, you know, publication. And he is clearly of a kind of generally like market forces are better. And this came out in our chat with him, and I'm a, a little bit as my, well, a little bit of me is like, yeah, does it have to go like this? Like, is this all good? Do we have to like? Couldn't is it necessarily communist to insist that like we? That people decide how these technologies unfold, it feels a little bit kind of like I reckon if you had exactly that same interview with someone who knew exactly that much stuff, but they were like a rabid greedy lefty, they would have a very different analysis about the extent to whether we should be
0: relaxed about it. That's well, what they I should think. say. They would say everyone should just walk and cycle, and right, that would be well, that would yeah. be fine. But which is an obviously, I completely agree with that. But it's also but it's, true it that, is that, an I, option. that I quite it want have to, to...
1: sorry to interrupt you, but it doesn't have to be the case that we like the answer to the future of transport is more and more and more transport, does it?
0: Oh, I see, we could sit around more and well, think. Yeah. Gotta yeah. work from home now. So that's true, that's true. I don't think I necessarily agree with you that he came across in that interview as massively free markety, because he was talking quite powerfully about the need for robust regulation. Yes, yes. Uh, which I think was the phrase he used, or something even stronger, and saying that, you know, when you just, you don't have it, you get piles of bikes up, up against trees, because all the venture capitalists are just shoving their own product in the city, and no one does Fair. anything about it. So Fair. I think he kind of is arguing that Certainly at the city level, city administrators, city politicians need to be making decisions about what they want and where they want it and, give, and setting rules about how that you... Is, um, yep, that is right. Yep. So that's, that doesn't sound massively kind of laissez-faire, do what you want.
1: I suppose. I th- no, not that bit so much. And that's a fair point and you're right to pull me up on it. I think more just the thing about there's a kind of, I don't know, Something of a lack of imagination about going, all of these tech companies are going to make all these tech things, and our job as people is just to kind of try and stop them f***ing stuff up too much. <laughs> um, and, like, what is that? At what point do we kind of go, well, what do well, we actually want these things to transport to look like? Do you know what I mean?
0: So that is just about it for another episode of Babble. Thank you very, very much to Tom for writing, writing the book and for coming to talk to us all about it. Thank you to Dave for babbling so magnificently. The newly, I don't know, if I, can I say this, Dave? You're, you're different, oh, aren't you, from last go time?
1: Go on then. Yes, one of the things I was doing was making a Mrs. Dave. So, yeah, got Make, married, did Making a I? Mrs. Didn't Dave. Got married oh, well, Mrs. a Mrs. Beautiful- Dave made a Mr. Dave. That's very true. And uh, yeah, got married in a beautiful place in a rewilding project, no less. And it was very nice and only cried a little bit. And Ol uh, did some dancing. I did. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ol, for babbling. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us what you thought of the show, you can find us, all on the Facebook. Just search for Sustainer We're on the Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Or you can email us to hello at sustainababble.com. Fish and please, this please do thank you very much. Please, please, please do give us a review on your podcast medium of choice five stars. Please, nice little write up. Tell your friends, bish, bash, bosh. And if you want to chip in with the running costs of this esteemed organ, please do so, like so many other people, but not enough who are uh, giving us dosh at wubbly wubbly
0: slash sustainable. Very good. Talking of reviews, did you see the review that we got that was written by a computer? Yes.
1: Yes, what did it say? Let me just pull this up. I mean, most what of the did, time I'm
0: distinctly freaked out that computers are already clever enough to, you know, mine our brains for whatever they want. Uh, and this then you read it. reviews that are written by AI, and you're like, well, maybe we've got a year or two <laughs> until, <laughs>
1: until they supersede the Sustain a babble, it says. Learn one thing new about local weather change without experiencing soul-crushing nervousness with this self-proclaimed comedy podcast. <laughs> Each episode goals to clear any confusion you might need all delivered in a humorous relatable method. I'm goaling to clear any confusion
0: at the moment is that what you're doing? <laughs> hey, you say that word again? Goaling
1: Oh that doesn't sound, That sounds like you're saying goading bless you, <laughs> poor snotty little monkey <laughs> Thank you to Dickie Moore for the music that starts ends and intertwinkles this podcast and to the legendary Arthur Stovall
0: for the logo what adorns
1: us it and our t-shirts what you can buy at wubblywubblywubbly
0: very good yeah christmas is coming up buy some t-shirts um can't be too prepared can you so buy buy t-shirts go and buy t-shirts get ahead there's a shortage i want to give a special shout out to Babel listener jay richardson who
1: uh, has performed some babble duties above and beyond the call of indeed duty uh as and when we reveal them we shall reveal them but jay thank you very much you know what you've done you are a star
0: superb right i'm off to uh look for a delorean
1: I'm off to mess about on Uber until the helicopter arrives. Oh, my God.
0: If you have, if you, Babble yes. listener, have ever yes. successfully hailed the, 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 the Uber helicopter... Or, indeed, uh, accidentally. Or, accidentally. accidentally. We <laughs> promise not to dob you in to the crowd as, a, as an awful climate terrorist, but I would love to know if anyone has actually done it. Like, bloody hell. Okay, bye.
1: You're looking very Clark Kent, if I may say so.
0: Thanks. I've got product in my hair from yesterday and I didn't shower this morning. So combination of grease and product. And quite a lot of snot because I've had so much snot in my hands. Yeah. (laughs) I should try that thickening.